If you are a first-gen Latina and have found yourself helping your family navigate the financial system here in the U.S., this episode is for you. Yes, you are here. Bienvenida to the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a mixed language podcast hosted by me, Jen Hemphill, to help you become the reign of your money and love your dinero more. If you are needing some inspiration and encouragement at this very moment, you have come to the right place. Gracias por compartir este tiempo conmigo. Now let's jump in to today's dose of money confidence. Hola, how is it going? This is Jen Hempel, your host. I am so thrilled to have you here. Estoy super emocionada de tenerte aquí. Listen, immigrating to the U.S. is not easy as there is so much to learn in starting over. And then the financial system is another thing to tackle. But first-gen Latinos, as you may have experienced, find themselves in the midst of this navigation. And our guest today is no stranger to this. Let me share with you about Leah Landaverde. She is first-generation queer Latina, an entrepreneur, master of finance, professor, wealth coach, and the podcast host of the Mi Riqueza podcast. After working six years in the finance industry, she decided to break away from corporate to follow her passions and helping underrepresented communities, which you will learn about. Lista, vamos a conocer this reina of her money. Bienvenida, Leah. I am so thrilled to have you here with me today. I connected with you not too long ago, and I'm just so impressed by you, by your presence, by everything that you've accomplished in such a short period of time, because you're just a few years younger than me, just a few. And <laughs> so I love everything that you're just doing and everything that you're about. So I just can't wait to learn more about you. Welcome. Muchas gracias, Jen. I appreciate this opportunity. And I know you're so close in age. I'm right behind you. <laughs> <laughs> just a few years. Just a few years difference. <laughs> I love it. Well, in this podcast, we begin with just going back in time. So let's go back in time, Leah, to a time maybe in tu niñez or maybe when you were a little older. Tell us about your experience, your upbringing, maybe some lessons that you've had around money that really have shaped the person you are today. Yeah, this is my favorite question because I love reminiscing. I love looking back at my childhood because I'm a child of immigrants. My parents are from El Salvador and they migrated here in their own journeys at different times in their life, but very young. My mom was, I think she was 14 and my dad was 19 and they have a 10 year difference. So, you know, very different times. And my dad, he is my inspiration. He is an entrepreneur. He has his own landscaping business. And my mother is his secretary, his office manager, and just the entrepreneurial 
couple that I've seen and looked up to my whole entire life. And, you know, when I think about money and how we grew up, you know, my parents did their very best to put food on the table and have the roof over our head through various economic situations. I think from my earliest memory, you know, we lived in a little apartment. I'm their first daughter. My dad does have an older son, but I'm the first daughter for my mother. But they always confined in me to help them because as my older brother was learning English and so was I, you know, they're like, ¿Qué es esto? ¿Qué significa esto? And they were bills, credit cards, whatever it might be. And I just remember them trying their very best to navigate the system of the United States. I remember them trying to translate and speak English to Americans that they didn't even know how to even say what they were saying, but they were trying because that's the only thing they could do. They weren't given a map or a book. Here's a dictionary of English words you need to learn today in order to be a successful entrepreneur, you know? And when it comes to money, there was the 2008 recession that I think many individuals, especially people of color and those in the lower class were impacted by because since the real estate market was impacted from the 2008 recession, my parents, their business was tied to that, right? They were landscapers. Mm -hmm. They tied to Mm -hmm. all new construction landscaping. And we had, for the first time in our lives, my dad had bought in a home. It was a nice home. And we were excited to live in it. But when the 2008 recession happened and the aftermath, I was seeing my parents' discomfort with knowing that they couldn't pay the mortgage. Uh, Then it slowly became into, Leah, make sure you shower before 9 a.m. because they're going to turn off the water. Mm. And how old were you at this time? I was around like 12. Okay. So I was 12 and my younger siblings were 10 and then like five and four years old. So they were really young. They don't remember as much as me because my parents confined in me a lot and they trusted me. I was their little advocate, their little niña que llevaban al banco, you know. So they would be like, Mm -hmm. Leah, make sure you shower before this time. Leah, just know that there might not be warm water. Yes, because the gas bill wasn't paid. And... That was like my earliest memory of things actually impacted my life because they would talk about dinero for their negocio, but I wouldn't understand it growing up. But it wasn't until those moments, the 2008 recession, that I was starting to feel the impact of lack of money, the scarcity, because it was actually affecting my life. And then it was my parents showing me their bills that it were late. Leah, can you call this company and tell them our situation? And I'm like 12 years old. And I'm like, what do I say? You know what I mean? And then it was Leah, we're filing for bankruptcy. And I didn't know what that meant. I was like, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? So you were still 12. Yeah, like, I'm still 12. I'm yeah. still 12. Like, I'm a baby and I'm listening to all of these things. And my parents are having me process this for them and with them. They included me in their journey because as a daughter of immigrants and the firstborn, they instilled a lot of what they grew up with in me. They're like, Leah, when I was a kid, this and this and this. Leah, cuando yo estaba chiquito, yo jugaba con literally marbles. That was my happiness. So you should be grateful for what you have today. And I was because, I mean, I didn't know any better. I didn't know what else could have happened in my life. Yes, I did see my peers live maybe different lives, but 
for my family, this is the only life that I could have imagined. And then when they had told me about bankruptcy and they said, that means that all of our debt is getting taken away, but also it's affecting our credit and all of these things. I'm like, well, so you had debt? They're like, yes, we built debt because of many external factors, the business not being able to pay the bills, my dad not being able to save money because he didn't know what saving was. He didn't even know what credit was and how to pay debt. Like these things that people might grow up knowing naturally because their parents instill them in them. With immigrants, they have no idea. There's no map to the financial system. And so for me, you know, my parents really wanted me to take what their mistakes were and like never repeat them. Mm. because they were, I just remember their anguish when me dijeron que Leah, my dad was in tears because this is around the time he told me we're going bankrupt. But then this, a few years later, maybe this was like four years later, after still struggling financially, still struggling to make ends meet, we hadn't paid our mortgage in four years. And I remember him telling me, you know, Leah, quiero que seas inteligente, quiero que seas mejor que yo. No quiero que hagas estos errores que yo hice en mi vida. And I was like, okay. And he's like almost in tears. And he's like, I need you to be smarter. Take advantage of this system. Que no entiendo. And I am just like, okay. And here I am like 14 years old now processing this. <laughs> like, like mm-hmm. just like, how do I take that in, you know? And then that's why I, everywhere I go, I want to make sure people know I'm a daughter of immigrants because – that immigrant story is just... And I love that you're sharing all this with me because so many things come to mind that is typical of children of immigrants. You were 12 years old, translating for them, traduciendo, trying to... And then when it comes to finances, you don't know what you don't know. You just do your best, right? And so one of the challenges that your parents and just immigrants in general have. You said it, there's no map to the financial system here in the U.S. And even within our Latinx community, there's there's so many different nuances because we're so diverse, right? You could be an immigrant document. You could be an immigrant undocumented. So that Mm posed different challenges. You can be a DACA recipient. So there's that. There's so many different nuances. What would you say, and you've hinted a little bit, could you talk a little bit more about what were the challenges that your parents faced? I mean, you shared that they bought a house, which is, I think, awesome because I don't know the stats and I haven't looked at that, but but it's not necessarily something that they do right away, right? So your parents bought a house and did some other things. It seems like they were establishing credit and doing, you know, so they were navigating the financial system. But what would you say were some of their challenges and that maybe other and other immigrants also face? Yeah, I think, you know, my parents were very blessed because they did have allies from the white American community here locally where we grew up. And they did have people who respected my parents I remember my dad said the guy that I used to garden for. So before he started a business, he was a gardener for this rich white man. And he was the one who got my dad started on paperwork for his TPS and, you know, temporary protected status and then a paperwork for 
just like starting a business and everything. So from what I remember and what my parents have told me, you know, they did have an ally. They've had allies mm. to protect them. I think they were blessed in that sense because some of the community don't have allies. They have no mm. one to go to, no one to advocate for them. And that is what I remember is my parents, they struggled with paying bills. They struggled with making sure the payment was made. Obviously, auto payment didn't exist back in the day, you know. So sending in that check or calling in, having that time to do that was nearly impossible because I remember my dad would leave at like 6 in the morning and he wouldn't come back until 8 p.m. And my mom was right behind him. She would leave at nine and come back at six. And then they would have to hire one of my tias or primas to take care of us because we were still children and she needed to work. She needed to help support my father to bring the bread home. You know, they didn't have the time to even nurture their finances, nor even understand what a budget is. If I talk about a budget to them, they still think it's a foreign language. <laughs> Like, it's like, you know, just make sure you have enough money to pay your bills. That's all you got to worry about. I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. But there's other things that you that play into it. So when it came to credit, I think the only thing they understood was business credit because that could get them loans for machinery and all these other things. I wish I knew their first experiences with credit and when they got their first loan for their car. You should interview them for your podcast. That would be a fascinating interview. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's one of my goals because their version of riqueza and their version of wealth is so different. And that's what I have to like understand is that they grew up in a different era, a different time a different nation in itself where different things were valued. Money wasn't essentially the thing they valued. They valued family. They valued community. And yes, I think I am second generation entrepreneur in the US, but I'm third generation. If I talk about my grandmother in El Salvador, she sold tomatoes. So like that hustle, that grind to get money was always there. And my parents, I think they adapted what they knew from El Salvador here to the U.S., but obviously it didn't add up when bills started coming into play and like how to make revenue. I know my parents undercharged a lot <laughs> because when they would compare themselves to their peers, that's why they would get jobs because American people wanted to work for the cheaper individual, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember, I remember them, my mom and my dad fighting over their pricing. And because they're like, Dionisio, ¿por qué estás cobrando bien barato? Like, así no se tiene que hacer. No vas a crecer el negocio así, you know? Like, <laughs> it was crazy listening to them because they were learning. And now, like, I mean, my dad's been running his business for older than me. So like 25 years, 26 years. And now he knows what he's doing. I mean, I'm sure he could do better, but there was no textbook that taught him what he knows. I'm taking a quick second to interrupt your listening to remind you. This show relies on your support to continue to grow. If you get a ton of value, it would mean everything. If you can hit the follow button on wherever you listen to, share with a friend and give us a quick and honest review. Gracias y te mando muchos abrazos. And I'm curious because one of the things that you do is your passion is to serve underserved communities. 
And when it comes to immigrants and navigating the financial system, what do you think? And I'm curious, because you are really bright. Obviously, you're really young, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on what can we do to minimize that challenge for immigrants. I know you mentioned for your parents that they were lucky in terms they had allies, right? Uh, People that would support them, advocate them, and help them really navigate that system and help them through that. So I'm just curious, because like I said, I you are really bright. I'm all, I've just been so really, really impressed with you. So talk to us. Yeah, when it comes to the undocumented community, or even just the immigrant community navigating the US, there is no map. These are the 10 steps you need to do to get your finances right in the United States. Like That doesn't really exist in our current day because one, finances are personal. What you do with your finances is your choice. But in order to be that person that is building generational wealth that you aspire as you look at other individuals who have built their own wealth, as a immigrant, you have to In my eyes, you have to really take that energy that you took from when you came to the U.S., whether you crossed through walking or through flying in, whatever way that you came into the U.S., take that energy and be like, all right, I'm excited to be here, but now I need to take ownership of what's next because no one's going to save you. No one's going to fight for you other than you. And I think a lot of people fear that they have to do this alone. And sometimes you do because not everyone is going to advocate for you. But one thing is there are rising advocates. There's a lot of advocates coming out like me, like yourself, Jen, that are trying to advocate the financial system in a normal conversation, English translation, Spanish translation, you know, that it it doesn't seem too foreign for one to understand. But it's really hard for an individual who has never understood what the system is and where to go to find the next step. But let me tell you, the next steps really are one, ensuring you forgive yourself for any past choice trauma that has come into your life. Because sometimes we hold on to that and we're like, oh, because X, Y, and Z happened to me, I can't do this and this and this. Right. You know, we got to forgive ourselves because I know family members who have crossed to the U.S., And they feel guilty because they're like, I'm an immigrant. I'm a second class citizen. No one will take me seriously. And they say this to me in Spanish and they cry about it. And I'm like, you know what? I hear you. I feel you. And I see you. But also, how about instead of assuming everyone feels these certain feelings towards you, how about you pay attention to yourself? What are you doing for yourself to advocate for yourself too? Because like I mentioned in the beginning, there's a certain self-awareness, but also self-drive that you need. You need to be able to say, where are these resources and how can I find them for myself? Maybe you go to the bank and you ask the teller, hey, I'm new here. What do I need? Maybe they'll help you. Or maybe you just go on Google and look up resources for how do I get my ITIN, right? It's just that little initiative to get you started and then answers start flowing. But it's very hard. I can't say there is one way to do it or this is other way. But I think it all comes with advocating for yourself first because yes, I'm here. You're here, right? We're here to advocate for nuestra comunidad, pero a la misma vez, I can't touch everyone that comes to the U.S., you know what I mean? And as much as I want to, at the end of the day, if anyone who's listening that is an immigrant and doesn't know what they're doing, 
okay, what are you taking action on to find out? What are you doing for yourself to find the resources? There are resources online. Like Experian is a really good, they're really trying to provide awareness on credit and building credit and finances in Spanish for nuestra gente. There's other companies as well that are trying to push for this. And so hopefully soon more resources will become available and more accessible. But I think it starts with that self-advocacy. I love it. Now, one of the things we've already shared that you're Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. We're really passionate about serving the underserved communities. I presume a part of that is your own journey, right? Your upbringing, the things that you experienced. Is there anything else that really has led you to serving this underserved communities? Yeah. I mean, you know, watching my parents go through their journey, but also my own. I was very young when I started college. I was 15 Yeah, 15 years old when I started college. I did it while I was in high school. I was very blessed to apply to a program that was offering college and high school at the same time so I could get my associate's degree in finance or in associate's degree in high school at the same time. And with that, I focused in business and then I migrated into finance. So by the time I was 19 years old, I had a bachelor's in finance, very educated in the realm because I wanted to advocate. You know, I have a lot of inner child trauma because of watching my parents' wealth deteriorate, foreclosing on our home. That happened right after bankruptcy. Then we were homeless for a second. And then my parents had to restart their business. And, you know, a lot of things have happened after the aftermath of 2008, you know? Of course. It's not just the 2008 happened and boom, it's all flowers, you know? (laughs) No, I think that's what people think, you know, even with the pandemic now. Like, oh, the pandemic's happening. It's almost over. The aftermath? Yeah, we haven't seen. Yeah, we haven't seen it it. yet. And we're going to see it soon. And this conversation about finances and taking ownership of your finances is so important now more than ever. So when I go back to my inner child trauma, I think about my mindset and how I had good things happening. My parents were abundant at one point, then we were in scarcity at one point. And so I would also imagine and as I studied in finance, you know, I, I did study the 2008 recession in school. My family wasn't the only one. They were actually specifically targeted by countrywide home loans and all these other big companies <laughs> that they targeted people of color. They targeted underserved communities, low-income families to offer them home loans with variable interest rates. And you know, when I looked at my parents' home loans, yeah, it was variable. So I felt some sort of anger when I was going through school because I was like, the system wasn't made for us. The system was made by white people for white people. And then here we are trying to navigate a system that doesn't make sense. And it frustrated Mm. me because even Mm. me, as I studied, they never taught me my personal finances. They taught me about this is credit. This is what a budget is. This is what it, this is like from a theory perspective. Right. But like, how do I apply that in my own life? Never taught my parents, never taught me. So Mm -hmm. as I'm growing up now, right, I got my bachelor's trying to pursue a career here. I ended up in investment banking field. 
I struggled with my own finances. And it was the most embarrassing thing in my eyes because I was like, how am I a bachelor's in finance and I can't figure out my money? Like, I remember thinking all these things. I'm like, how can I not figure it out? Like, I should know better. I studied this, right? Because eventually I accumulated $30,000 in credit card debt. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you're familiar with money scripts. These are things that Mm -hmm. you've heard from your childhood that kind of stay with you forever. Mm -hmm. Well, this is why I do this podcast and why we're talking about these stories. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, I remember... My parents telling me, you know, debt is malo. Deudas son malas porque por eso nos fregamos así. We're over here sufriendo because of debt. And then I look at my adulthood and I'm just like, oh, there's my money script. Mm-hmm. And we're not aware of it. We're not aware of it. Because yeah. it should be, in my opinion, and that's why I wrote my book, it should be a part of a financial education. That aspect of our money stories, of our upbringing, because I think it's like, and I think you and I have had this conversation before where it's the, for me, it's the foundational piece. It's like, you can be all like you and I've had the same experience where we could be as educated as I'll get out about money, read books, you, you know, went to school, studied that, but we find ourselves stuck and we're wondering what the heck is going on. Mm-hmm. I've been there. And, you know, that's why I do this podcast, because I want people to be aware because the how to of money is, it's taught so much. But really, what the bigger component about these money stories in the mind is not and that's what keeps those back. That's what hold and we need to be aware. And awareness is not going to change everything right away. But over time, if you're aware, you're able to change those scripts, create more abundant ones, create a new money story for yourself. I am just so glad that you said 25? 24. Going on 24. Yeah. Yeah. Just a few years. (laughs) But (laughs) I am so glad that at 24 years of age, you've realized that because it took me a lot more time to really understand what was going on. Now, one of the things is you mentioned trauma and you, one of the things that you do with your coaching and is help people like break those generational money curses. So talk to us about a little bit how you are approaching this and helping your clients. Yes. So even with my own experience and I've gone through, you know, like I said, my parents' journey with them and then my own of blaming myself, giving myself so much hate and embarrassment towards my own journey. And then waking up one day and deciding, what the heck, Leah, why are you feeling like, I think everyone has that coming to Jesus moment, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I want my clients to feel is like, hey, it's okay. You know what I mean? Like they come to me with, oh, well, you know, machismo culture, other isms like sexism that they've grown up with or phobias of the bank. Literally, there's phobias of the bank. And that's common in our community because we've never knew how to approach an institution like that, right? Or they've had bad experiences because when they went to the bank or when they went to talk to an advisor, they said, you don't have enough money to work with us. And it's just like a disappointment. Like it feels terrible to be rejected. So a lot of my clients come with a fear towards money, whether it's the root of all evil or whether it's 
these money scripts, right? That they tell themselves that you can't trust money or that is malo, you know, similar to like mine. I try to focus when I coach them on, all right, let's list your fears. Let's talk about your past and acknowledge what happened. Let's acknowledge mm-hmm. it because this is who you are. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of your story because I think a lot of us like to hide our own tragedies and our scarcity because we feel like we have to prove something to someone because we've lived good or we've had a successful life. No, I know there's struggle in there somewhere. Like you mentioned, you've had your own, right? And it's like, we need to provide awareness to our story and accept it. Forgive and accept that this happened and we forgive ourselves for what part we had to do with it because at the end of the day, we had no knowledge of what to do anyway. So when my clients come to me saying, I have $10,000 of debt. I don't know how I got here. You're going to laugh at me. You're going to, no, I'm not going to do anything because honey, I didn't expect you to come here with a perfect, you know, financial plan here. Like I didn't come. This is not why you're here. You're here because you're trying to find an alignment with your finances and you're currently unaligned because one lack of education, your mindset is not there. And you also have these traditions and taboos that have been placing you through parents. I've had them in place too. Like, you know, my parents are always you know, estás produciendo, Lia. Estás produciendo. They're always like pushing me and pushing me and pushing me. I'm like, you're driving my anxiety. Fun. Like, please. <laughs> <laughs> my parents have their own ways of doing things too. But like, it's all about forgiving the past, accepting our present. So where we are today and saying, ahora que vamos a hacer para el futuro? Where do you want to go? I think mm-hmm. our gente fear the future because they're like, no sé, pues tengo que poner la comida en la mesa. I need to put the food on the table. We're about survival. That's our community. Yeah. We're about survival. Yeah, survival mode. Is it? All we want to do is be able to survive. But we never aspire. We never dream. And maybe we do for one minute. And then we're like, we kill it with our scarcity mindset. We kill it with our mind. And we're like, no, that's never going to happen because X, Y, and Z. Right. And with my clients, I just want them to know that anything is possible because if you feel like anything is possible, you can make things happen. You'll make the next move without fear because you're like, I can do this. This is tangible. When we talk about even saving or budgeting, I don't read a textbook to them and be like, okay, the budgeting is defined as this. No, it's like, okay, let's look at your money and let's make a plan that is realistic for you because there should be balance when it comes to finances and maybe we look online and we see everyone like, you know, living a frugal life and really living to the nitty gritty of like their numbers. And I'm like, you don't have to live like that. Just live whatever feels perfect for you in that balance. If you want to go on a vacation or a staycation once a year or twice a year, let's figure it out. Let's see how we can balance it while also prioritizing your growth through saving, paying off your debt. And I think a lot of people get stuck on this concept of like, how do I pay off debt and save at the same time? Don't I have to pay off my debt first and da, 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 da. It's like, it's all a balancing act and it's all something that's defined by you. And that's what I have to establish with my clients. And I love it. And I think also that I think is powerful with coaching is that you provide them a safe space to hear them out. And just in hearing them out, that allows clients to have a better understanding of themselves because they are actually verbalizing. It's not just in their mind. It's kind of like putting pen to paper. When you're writing, you get more clarity and just giving them that space. So I applaud you that you allow that 
and that you do that with your clients because I think that's powerful. Now, you mentioned scarcity. You mentioned, I think you mentioned also about building wealth and everything. You worked in the corporate sector for an investment banking. So I could talk to you for hours and hours. So I have one more question (laughs) is because you've had this experience, you advocate and you help the underserved communities. You're a Latina. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are. You know that in our community, there's a significant wealth gap, right? That exists. I'm curious. I have my own theories. I mean, I've already mentioned that in our community, we're just so diverse and different, not just colors and whatnot, but we're diverse in so many different areas. Why do you think this exists? I think you've hinted at it. So talk to me. Yes, the wealth gap. I mean, (laughs) capitalism, white supremacy, (laughs) like it goes on and there's so many things. But, you know, when we think about our community, right, if we think about how the U.S. was built, I mean, first off, Latinos were here first, the natives, and they came from Mexico, you know what I mean? Like, I think about the U.S. and how it was established, right? We have people who migrated from Europe, right? And they established systems for themselves to navigate their new map, right? And it's like white people establishing now the stock market. They want to reinvest in these companies and all of a sudden it starts growing and growing populations expanding. But then at the same time, we have mixing pots of people coming to the US for opportunity and growth. Now we're in 2021 and it's estimated in like 45 years that we're going to be a minority majority. Mm-hmm. I think it's like 2055. Or I don't remember what the year is. I don't remember, is. but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, we're migrating here because we find opportunity, but the opportunity here lacks a map like we've been talking about. And yes, capitalism has a play to it, white privilege, white supremacy, all of that has a play to the wealth gap. Because when you look at the Federal Reserve and you look at the average income household wealth for white communities, Black and Latino, Latinx communities, Black and white, people at the very, very bottom, and it's $100 trillion in difference. And it infuriates me because at the end of the day, they put us here meaning the system, the financial system, political system, capitalism, like, and it's infuriating, but how can we fight that and change it is all dependent on us on saying, I can fight this. I can fight these systemic barriers that are placed against me. You know, I even look at my own traditions. Like I am a queer Latina. I am not supposed to be queer and Latina, like in my own tradition. My parents are very religious and Growing up, gay people were bad, right? And so like, here I am, my own identity is breaking a tradition, breaking a barrier here. But now I remember walking into my (laughs) counselor's office um, when I was like 15 or 16 years old. And I was like, Katie, I'm tired of being a statistic. How can I not be a statistic anymore? Because all the time I see presentations and Latinos are like 2%, 3%, 4%, 5%. And then there's white majority. And then black people are also in the same bucket as me. Like why? I'm tired of being a statistic. So what did I do? I fought for myself. I fought for my education. I fought for my experience. Like I didn't just sit there and pout. I took action because I wanted a shift. And I think our people need to take ownership of themselves, their finances, their opportunities, their careers and fight. And whatever fighting means for them, whether it's applying for that job that you never thought you could apply for because you're like, oh, I'm not qualified, but you did it anyways. That is a fight. Right. Or like just looking at your bank account or maybe just opening up a bank account. That is a fight to the system. 
And it doesn't have to be like we're marching down the street and yeah, we're claiming our power, which I would love to do that, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) But it's literally coming down to the system in itself doesn't expect us to look at our finances, invest, build wealth, pay off our debt. They expect us to go get another title loan, a same day pay loan and, you know, get ourselves more into debt and just continue the cycle. That's what they want. And right. what I push for is just breaking that. Let's just stop it. Let's just break yeah. these curses. And I'm hopeful because I know even though I am a Latina, I am a Latina with privilege, mm-hmm. right? I'm a Latina with privilege where my, yes, color comes into play. It gives, and my dad's American. So I have those privileges. So I feel irresponsibility as a Latina with privilege to help one of the reasons I do this podcast, other Latinos, other Latinx individuals, because if you have the privilege, why won't you, right? Why won't you help? And so that's big. So I acknowledge all the time my privilege. I know in my family, some don't have that privilege. So I take that upon myself as a responsibility. And I think there's the others that have also that privilege as Latinx should take that. I mean, Of course, I can't force people to do what they don't want to do. But I feel like if we together combine together, I feel hope because I see people such as yourself, right? I see other millennials. Are you a millennial, by the way? 20? (laughs) Borderline millennial. (laughs) Exactly. I was like, wait a minute. She might. I don't think she's a millennial. But yeah, just just a few years difference. I'm still going to insist. No, 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 I'm not. But anyway, so I feel that hope where I see so many more. Again, I feel like I see so many more, but then I know I'm in the personal finance space. So many more millennials in your generation. (laughs) It's my son's generation. But but anyways, talking money, it just gives me hope. It really does. And I'm really hopeful for the future that that wealth gap is going to be minimized. And I think to that being that also in the Latinx community, there's so much more entrepreneurship, just the buying power. I have hope and I'm hopeful that I'm right. (laughs) No, you are right. You are right though. Even just the shift in two years of pandemic, our voices were literally, we spoke up because of the pandemic. We started our businesses. A lot of people became coaches or they became content creators in the financial realm because they're like, hello, I'm bored and I love this, but now I feel like I have a platform to speak my voice, right? And a lot of us came from that, came from the pandemic, right? And like you mentioned, and I want to make sure people hear this, if you have power in any shape or form, don't forget your people and don't forget where you Mm -hmm. come from. Exactly. Because I think la humildad se nos pierde. If we have privilege, acknowledge it, but use it to your advantage to advocate for the people who don't. Because I have a level of privilege of class because, you know, I grew up in a community where there was no such thing as the ghetto. Literally here, there was no such thing as those terms because it was just a nice 
white dominated community and it was taken care of. So like I have a level of class privilege that I didn't suffer other experiences that other people might have if they grew up in LA, Southside LA, you know what I mean? So I have a level of privilege in that sense and you have a level of privilege, but as long as we acknowledge it and use it to the advantage of our people who are at a disservice. And I think a lot of people are rising arising with power, with voices being sponsored or, you know, working with big brands, whatever it might be, but don't forget where you come from and please just advocate, continue to advocate because then if we go back to the beginning, that immigrant that just came to the U.S., they're going to watch you on social media or your reel is going to pop up. You're going to be on TV one day and they're going to be like, oh, I can be like that person. I can do something. Leah, this has been so fabulous. Like I said, I admire you. You're an inspiration. I think doing what you're doing, the amount of knowledge and wisdom that you have, like it's only the beginning for you. So I applaud you. I thank you for being the example that you are for the community. And thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. hope that you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I really find people like Leah, yes, younger than me, but so wise beyond their years. And they're just an inspiration as I find Leah. If you want to connect with her, you can look up Leah Landaverde on Instagram, and I will make sure that I have that link in today's show notes. Now, if you are feeling overwhelmed, chances are that you need to take a step back, breathe, and grab my free daily dinero ritual, which will help you reflect, recharge, and focus so you can simplify what seems overwhelming with your finances. And you can grab that at jenhemphill.com forward slash ritual. Next week, we will be meeting with Tasha Prados, who helps people launch their small businesses. So if you're starting a small business or have been wanting to do so, that is an episode you don't want to miss. Bueno pues, that is everything. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen and tune in to this show. You can check out the show notes over at jenhemphill.com forward slash 296. That's jenhemphill.com forward slash Two nine six. Remember that being the reign of your money starts now simply by claiming it. I believe in you and so should you. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao.